You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. The scripture reading this morning is read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 51 to 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are coming to the end of this chapter. I don't know if you noticed it in the scrolling, the, the number 10 coming up. And so you may be really excited about that. Um, the first, the first congregation seemed to be a lot more excited that we're ending the chapter than you guys. But um, it it is a joy. It has been a journey for us to get through uh, the book of Luke and look through it and walk through it together. Now, by the way, if you don't know who I am, I'm my name is Jason Goins. I'm the pastor preaching a vision here, and it's my joy to be in the place this week to be able to teach from this word and this text. I want us to pray uh, because I, I believe that the Lord is doing something extraordinary in the hearts of, of our people. And texts like this really don't need a lot of explanation, but we really need a lot of discernment in how to apply it. So let's pray that the Lord would do that. God, here we are, we've been singing to you, perhaps most of us have been praying to you this morning, Holy Spirit, we need you to reveal what you alone can reveal to us, we need you to show what idols are in our life, we need you to show what orders or things are in our life that are complicating our lives, we need to show you, we need you to show us what we need to see. So here we are, Lord, help us, speak to us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been exploring and looking at how people viewed, how they saw, how they came to know who Jesus was. And although Jesus was never confused about his purpose or his ministry or his life, we see in this chapter that um, he is asking people what they know him to be. But again, Jesus was never confused about this. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. If you've been walking with us all the way back in the day when we started in Luke, we came to Luke chapter 4 as sort of the launch of his ministry. And when he was launching and beginning his earthly ministry, we find this text in Luke 4, which is a catalytic, important announcement by Christ as he read this text from Isaiah. So, In verse 16, it says in chapter 4 that he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. Verse 18, this is a quote from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant. He sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 21 says that, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was not confused about his identity. He was not confused about his purpose and his task. The people that were learning Jesus We're often confused about him. We come to chapter 9. There's a lot that happened from chapter 4 to chapter 9. A lot of works of ministry, a lot of miracles, a lot of teaching. And we notice in this chapter that people are are seeking the identity of of Jesus. Uh, From Herod to the crowd, exploring things. The disciples who are watching and exploring and seeing things that just they could not explain. Jesus knows this. He leads them to these conversations. He leads them to identify who he is. He is is inviting them to see him. He is inviting them to his purpose. He is inviting them to come and know who he is and what he's about. Peter was the one that said, you are the Christ of God. And then Jesus makes it very clear in chapter 9 what that means, that the Christ of God is coming. He's going to be handed over. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. He's going to be raised. And then he tells them exactly what it means to follow him, what it means to be with him, what it means to follow him, what it means to be connected with this Christ of God. And then we come to the end of the chapter where we actually read these words, what it means to be fit for the kingdom of God. 
as we close out this chapter, Luke seems to emphasize a transition in Jesus' focus here. He seems to sort of highlight a determination that is evident in Jesus. His identity has been revealed. He has identified himself. People are kind of getting it, kind of. And now it's time for the purpose to take place. In chapter 9, the identity is established. It was affirmed, what we see, what Peter confessed. It was affirmed on the Mount of Transfiguration by, by God the Father, said, this is my son, listen to his words. And it's now time for the Savior who's identified as the Savior to go and be the Savior. It's time to get to work. It's time to do this. So our text today in chapter 9, verse 51 through 62, here's what we see. In verse 51, it says that he set his face toward Jerusalem. The people who heard this knows what that meant because Jesus had told them what that meant. It means I'm going to be handed over to the scribes, to the elders. I'm going to go. I'm walking. My face is set toward Jerusalem. And here's what's waiting for me there. They're going to bring me into suffering. Verse 53 says he was journeying with his face set toward Jerusalem. And again, in verse 56, we see that he is on the mission to save, not necessarily destroy. He is focused. He's moving onward in 57 and 58. He is laying down his life, not to show how to get a good lifestyle, but to get rid of the lifestyle to gain all that God has for him. Again, 59 through 60, we see that his eyes are on building and sharing the kingdom of God, not necessarily other things. Verse 61 and 62, we see that he has set his focus on what is ahead. Six times we see in just our text today the special focus of the task of the Savior. He has set his face to go to Jerusalem. To emphasize it even more, we can actually take time to evaluate and see what Jesus is obviously not focused on doing. He's not focused on gaining cultural approval. He's not focused on winning the crowd's applause or popularity. He's moving forward. His face is set. He's not even focused on judging the people now. When they said, hey, can we call on destruction on it. He's like, I'm, no, we're, I'm going here. We're going here. This is what we're doing. He's not focused on fixing everyone's little heart issues, family issues, hurts here and there. He's, his face is set to Jerusalem. He's not focused on the luxuries or the comforts. He's not even focused on making it easy for his followers a lot of times we talk about leadership and how leaders are, are good leaders are the ones that make sure that the followers are, are thrilled and vibrant and are taken care of and everybody's okay. And Jesus doesn't show that here. His face is set for Jerusalem. He's not focused on supporters that will cheer for him or will benefit from being close to him. He's not focused on people who are looking backwards to Fix stuff from yesterday. His face is set toward Jerusalem. And if we dare say it, we see that he's not even focused 
on correcting the people who are unfit for the kingdom work. He has taught, he has served, he has shown examples of his majesty and power. Now he is directly, assertively focused and headed to the cross. Yes, there will be teaching on the way, there will be ministry on the way, but his face is set. And Luke shares about these four encounters as we close out chapter 9. Let's just look at them briefly. First of all, we have the encounter with the village of the Samaritans. We see it here, he says, um, verse 52, actually, yeah, verse 52, sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him, but the people did not receive him because his face is set toward Jerusalem. Luke goes on to say, when the disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you, not, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Unlike Matthew's account, Luke was a bit more expansive in how he sort of chronicled this journey of Jesus to the cross. Luke seemed to include more encounters that Jesus had with Gentile people, probably because Luke himself was a Gentile. He included this one in here. He included this one of him coming into the village of the Samaritans and how they rejected him. It is likely that their rejection of Jesus wasn't necessarily personal. I mean, it's obvious that James and John see it very personal. It's likely that they didn't really know who Jesus was, that they hadn't really an understanding of of all the miracles that he had done and all the teachings and specifically the reading of the synagogue in chapter 4. They weren't with him. He'd come into their village. It's not their practice to practice what Jesus and his followers were practicing. It's likely that they rejected him simply because he's on his way to Jerusalem. One commentator put this. He said, the Samaritans clinging to their own religious system Despite them lacking of a temple in their own village, they refused to recognize the Jerusalem temple as a proper place of worship. Thus, they rejected Jesus probably because they rejected all who were going to Jerusalem to worship. So it's a good chance not personal to Jesus, but we see the focus of Jesus even though they're not making it personal. Here's a chance, here's a village, here's a place that he could just win everybody over. His face is set to Jerusalem. So encounter number one with this village, rejection number one. He moves on. They miss him. And there's likely a chance they miss the kingdom of God. So that moves us to the second encounter that we see here in verse 56. It says they went on to another village. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. We'll call this person the I will follow wherever you go person. Okay? Did a lot of work on that. This person could be saying this because Jesus is trending. Wow, Jesus is trending. I want to be kind of wrapped up in everything that he represents. I want to 
be in that sort of, I want to experience that sort of liberty. I want that kind of freedom. I want the power. Let's be honest, I kind of want that lifestyle. My mom's been telling me I've been hanging around with bad dudes. I want to hang out with good dudes. He's a good dude, I hear. So let me just follow. It could be all of that going on. Wherever you go, I will follow you. Wherever you go, I'm your guy. Wherever you go, I want to follow you. So how does Jesus respond? Finally, someone's saying yes to me. No, he responds, foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to follow me? Great. Join in, because this is where I'm headed. My face is set to Jerusalem. I've told my guys what that means. I've told my guys what, the, what to expect when we get there. They know. You want to follow me? Then know that there's nowhere to lay your head. There's no comforts going on the way. In fact, what's, what's waiting for me is this. They, hopefully, they'll get the answers right, and they'll tell you what's going on. On the way, there won't be any gathering of luxuries. There won't be any worldly stuff. In fact, there might be people that celebrate me one minute, forget me the next. Forget Zillow.com for a new home. Where I'm going, you're not even going to be logging on to Hotels.com for a room. I'm headed to the cross. I'm headed to Jerusalem. It doesn't say if the person stayed on the course and was on board or not. We just have this encounter where Jesus responds this way with a determined focus. We have a third encounter, verse 59. We see it. To another, he said, follow me. This is Jesus now encountering somebody else, telling them, follow me. But this person said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. We'll call this person the, sure, I'll join you after my parents' final day person. You can write all that down. We got one person. We got a whole village. We got one person. I'll follow you everywhere you go. We got this person saying, I'll follow you. Yeah, but if you were here last week, like, let me go do these other things. Then we have this verse 60, this response of Jesus to this person who's the sure, after I'm done seeing my parents person. I'll admit, every time I read it, In my whole life, every time I come to this, I'm like, wow, that just sounds so harsh. Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This person is the one who says, I've got so many spinning plates, so many responsibilities, so many irons in the fire. There's so many things to do, one of which is my father." With him and his health condition, I mean, you're telling me I'm supposed to honor my parents. That's the kind of tradition we're supposed to honor our parents. I'm going to do the most godly thing. I'm going to honor them. What's probably happening here when he's saying this to Jesus, it's not just that his father's on, like, in his deathbed. It's likely that his father's old and with his father are attached to all these responsibilities that now him, probably as the, the son, will have to deal with the estate the planning, make sure family's okay. There's this inheritance that he needs to manage. And let's just say, best case scenario, 
His heart is so pure. He's like, let me go manage this to make sure everybody gets what they want, make sure he is honored well and is in the right place, and I'll let it all go and I'll come and follow you. Let's just say that's where he is. I want to close out everything appropriately. I want to close it out and dispense it appropriately. Jesus says, let me remind you, you actually, that I actually asked you to follow me. Not follow me one day. Not follow me next year. Not follow me when things get in order. Not, yeah, but. Set your eyes and your focus on the kingdom that is to come. That's what he says. Not the kingdom that you're seeing that's on its last days. There's a better kingdom. There's a newer kingdom. Start talking about that. Start pointing to that kingdom. My face is set to a better kingdom. Follow me there. You in? Again, we don't know if this person stayed or not. Doesn't say here. We have speculations. There's other things we can read, but right here it doesn't say that. We have a fourth encounter. This fourth encounter, similar to the third encounter, we'll call this person that I will follow you, but next season. I'll follow you, but not yet. So similar kind of person. Look at it, 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Let me say farewell. I need a farewell tour, which you're asking is a lot. I get it. You're the, you're the Christ. You're going. There's Jerusalem. Things bad maybe happening there. I get it. So I need to make sure I close out things here. Let me settle up. Let me pay this off. Let me say goodbye here. Let me have my little farewell tour with my family, my friends. Really what he's saying is, Jesus, my, my face right now is set on them. It's not really set with you. Then I'll set my face with you. When time's right, when things are closed out, when I get a good goodbye, a farewell parade or something, then my face will be with yours. And we notice the very clear words of Jesus in verse 62, which is, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one who puts his hand to the plow for the task of plowing and sowing seeds of what is to come. Now, that person who's looking back is fit for kingdom work. So what are we to do with these things in chapter 9? How are we to consider these encounters that Jesus had and his response? We, we want to identify with Jesus. We want to see him and we want to apply his words to our life. But we need to do some work before we just jump in or jump into chapter 10, don't we? Before we jump into application, I just kind of want to explain or take a minute to explain why we have difficulty applying tough places of Scripture to our life, why it's hard. What makes applying the Bible hard sometimes is that we take very clear precepts, very clear teachings from the Bible, like this one, and before we submit to them, before we apply them to our lives, instead what we try to do is try to explain them away. 
We, we try to reorganize them. We attempt to redefine the word today as we de- deconstruct what it's saying, the meaning of the text. And we, we instead try to put it through our perspective instead of submitting our perspective to what it's saying. We want to make the text work within our system so that we can keep focusing on what we're focusing on while at the same time saying that we're focusing on what Jesus wants us to focus on. So we don't apply it. We mess it up. We deconstruct it. We're not really ready to die and leave things at the door and take up our cross and follow because the things in our life are so precious to us. It's like, yeah, but let me go do this. We look at these scriptures, and we in, in scriptures like this, and we say, surely Jesus didn't mean what it says that it, what it says. Like, he didn't mean that. So we redefine it. We deconstruct it. We twist it. We simply can't say that's what Jesus is saying for us. So we keep following what we want to follow, but at the same time saying we're following Jesus. And we can feel good about following Jesus because we've rewritten what Jesus is saying, and so we've applied it in the way that works within our system. We want the blessings of the Son of God. We recognize he's the Son of God, right? Like, like in all that that means. He is the Christ. He's the Son of God. What does that mean? He is the Creator. That means he's coming and he's bringing eternity with him. That means through him there's heaven and there's eternity. There's glory. There's power. He owns everything. Yeah, I want all of that. We, with him there's wisdom and he's spoken and created all these things. But something happens when we recognize his authority over everything. And we look at this scripture and all of a sudden we want to take that authority and just kind of put it over here. We rework the words because his authority all of a sudden now is uncomfortable for us. We choose, like these last three encounters, some temporary comfort at the expense of eternal comfort. So what's going on is that on one hand, we sing about the wisdom of God, we celebrate the supremacy of Christ and what he does for us, giving us breath, making covenants with us, yet at the same time, we don't apply his words here. We think that he is wise to do all that he's doing, but we don't think his wisdom is that good in 2023. Well, surely today it's different than what it was then. No, God's truth means what it means there. It means what it means today. So, as I was walking the other day and I was thinking about these things and as God is revealing to me again and again the things that I must submit to, I found myself just admitting I don't want to be the pastor that over-explains this text. I don't want to be a pastor that says, surely this says something different than what it says. I want, you guys are smart. Y'all see what it says. And it's hard to read, maybe, for you. 
what I want to do and what I want my role to be is not a man that deconstructs or rewrites what is written so that it lands softer in your lap. Because here's the thing, if, this, if the Samaritans who saw Jesus rejected him, there's a very good chance that the people in this room 2,000 years later will reject him. If these three people encountered Jesus, even heard his audible voice, looked him in the eye and said, he says, follow me. If they said, yeah, but there's a pretty good chance that many of you in this room will leave here saying, yeah, but. So I'm not trying to make it land softer. What I want to do, what I feel is our place as a congregation, as a church, is I want to shepherd you to the greener pastures of what this is saying. I want to I shepherd us to apply this, not over-explain it. I want you to have this question stick in your brain for a moment. Am I fit for the kingdom of God? That's what I want you to think about. Not, why did he say this? Why is he expecting that? Why is he demanding this? Oh, let's explain that. Let's talk about culture. Let's get, no. Are you fit for the kingdom of God? How do we know? How do we examine this? Well, this is what we're going to do with the rest of our time. We're going to ask two questions that will help us answer this one question. Am I fit for the kingdom work of God? Am I fit to be in the working in the kingdom work of God? Am I, am I walking that way? The first question we must ask is this. Where is my focus? The second question we must ask is, who am I following? One at a time. Where is my focus? Am I fit for the kingdom of God? Well, let's, let's see where my focus is to analyze this because that's a lot of what Jesus is addressing here. Often our focus is on a hundred other things before it ever becomes centered on the kingdom of God. So I want God to help us to examine. I want him to examine us. I want us to go before him and just ask him in three different areas of our life, are we focused on you or are we focused on these three things? What are those three things? Worldly cares, ourself, or worldly stuff. Cares, self, stuff. Okay? Let's look at them one at a time. Are we focused on worldly cares? What is that? What's well, crowded? It's a crowded topic. Worldly cares, what we mean is the stuff that we're busy with, the things that we're busy with, the things that occupy us or preoccupy our minds and emotions, all the, the stuff that might be actually neutral, the things that are maybe neither good nor bad, but keep us busy, the demands of our life. Isn't that what we see with these last three encounters? These are, these are things that are going on in these people's lives, things we do that we would call things that we care about that involve our mind and attention and work, cares that might possibly crowd out the purpose and the presence of Christ in our life. 
before we seek help from the Holy Spirit and go and ask him to reveal those things to us, just a few things about worldly cares that I want you to know and be reminded of. First of all, know that God is still near and present with all the things you got going on. How many plates do you have spinning right now? Like what is coming to your mind right now? Here's the eight things I got to do today. What, all that stuff. God is still near. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I, w- I want to give you rest. So God is still near. Like you, you may not feel his presence. It may not feel real, but he is near. Know also that all these things may or may not be all that wrong or sinful. They're just cares that are crowding out God. And before we pray, know that God can still be at the center of all of them. See, it could be that with all your cares, you just got things ordered wrong. And let me, let me say it's ordered wrong if this is the way you order it. Number three is my children. Number two is my wife. Number four is my church. Number five is my job. Number six is my fitness. But number one is Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's ordered wrong. Why? Because you put Jesus on a list. You check off. You move to number two. Okay, taking care of them. Taking care of them. Taking care of Look at it this way. Jesus is the center of it all. That all these cares are spokes coming from the hub. And at the hub of our life ought to be Jesus Christ turning everything, organizing everything, centering everything. So when we go to pray, what we're going to pray is, God, are there any spokes in my life that I'm trying to put at the center of the wheel of my life? Are there any hubs that are in the way and in conflict with you. Jesus, you're not number one on a list of ten. I want you to be the center of everything that you put in my care. Let's go to the Lord now and just ask him to reveal the worldly cares. It could be that you just simply pray, Lord, show me the worldly cares in my life and help me to center them around you. Let's pray that now. God, we want to submit to you. There's a lot of things on our plates. There's a lot of things that we're doing. There's a lot of spokes that may be broken, that may be strong. God, we we ask you, please show us what is in the way, what is crowding out you being at the center, the hub of our life. Would you, in your kindness, show us these things? And would you then give us the wisdom on how to either let them go or to work them into submission to you? Show us, Lord, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. That's number one. There's another focus that steals and robs our focus from Christ. That's the focus of ourself, the focus on ourselves, on our image, when we aren't able 
to recognize God's wisdom as a chief designer of our life, we begin to develop all sorts of insecurities. I wish I could do this better. This needs to be better. I'm not good at this, or I'm really good at this. And we start to overcompensate in all these areas in our life. And when we have these insecurities, a tremendous impact is made in all of our relationships. We begin to stop losing focus on what lies ahead unless we can see ourselves being glorified in what lies ahead. Instead of moving forward with liberty and joy and freedom, we get bogged down by a bunch of things that just beat us down, things we're holding on to, things that are heavier. And then with those insecurities, we start to get defensive about stuff. When we start getting defensive about stuff, with techniques come out of us and the survival techniques where we start taking aim at other people. Our focus should be this way, but Satan wants to get our focus just a little bit right here. Well, that's on you. If, you fo- if he can get you focused there, then you're going to turn your focus to this person who wronged you, then this person who wronged you. Next thing you know, you're focused on all these other things that began with the interruption of your focus on Christ because you're looking at your imperfections. Jesus says, bring it all to me. I'll take it with me to the cross and I will die for it all. This looks differently for some people, but it could look like this. Well, the church doesn't notice me. The church isn't meeting my needs. They didn't greet me. They ignored me. They hurt me. The church is this. The church is that. So we've turned it from being from our insecurities to taking aim at the bride of Christ. The collateral damage starts. We start yelling out, don't trust them. They're all the same. Listen, not that wounds and imperfections that happen in the church aren't real. They are. I've been wounded. I have wounded. We're imperfect. If you focus on me, wanting me to be perfect, you're going to be wounded. Because God doesn't want me to be an idol in your life, nor does he want you to be an idol in my life. When we focus on ourselves, we get disappointed All the time. When we get in awe of our feelings, we start getting in awe of how we're treated or not treated. Jesus, his face was on the kingdom of God. His face was set to Jerusalem. All of these encounters, especially, we think about the one in the village of Samaria. Like, that's the one where he probably heard a lot of feelings. Jesus, what are you doing? This is your chance to be popular. This is your chance to reach all these people who are unreached. They reject him because he's on his way to the cross. Not to rebuke them, not to discipline them now, but to save them by going to the cross. We're going to pray about our focus on ourselves in just a second. But before we do, just a few things I want to share with you and remind you before we go to the Lord and praying and asking him to reveal if we're focused too much on ourselves. The first thing is this. I want you to know that working on yourself is not wrong, but working on yourself can quickly reveal that 
yourself as an idol. He wants us caring and growing and pursuing holiness, which means we're always, like what we're doing now, analyzing what's in the way. Secondly, know that God is still near. Even though you are focused on you, (laughs) he's still saying to you, I've got plans for you. Come here. Thirdly, God is sovereign over your physical, over your mental, over your emotional well-being. Listen, that is so important. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. You're not an accident. He knows what he's doing with you, all your weaknesses, all your shortcomings, all those insecurities that you feel. Give them over. Stop looking at them and look to Christ. He wants you and he designed you the way that you are. God just wants to be the center of you. He wants to be the hub of all the activities in your life, and he wants to be the hub of your life. Let's go to him and ask him to show us what is in our way as we look at ourselves. If there's things we've got to confess, or Lord, oh, we have so many hang-ups. We're not the people that we probably want to be. I know I, Lord, even as I confess just in the back room while ago, you showed me an idol in the first service. And I've been working on this sermon for weeks. Show me more. Show us more how focused we are on ourselves. And let us die to it. Let's give it over to you, Lord. Our insecurities, our hangups, our hurts, and our wounds, take them so that we can follow you. Focus on you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Third thing that we need to evaluate with our focus is focus on worldly stuff. You knew we were going there. I already warned you. You might be here like, yeah, that person needs to know number one. Number two, Jason, go quickly through this one. I get it. Just quickly here. Do you think about acquiring stuff more than you think about the kingdom of God? Do you think about your best life now more than you think about eternity with Christ, completely free and full of joy and power? Do you think about all the things you don't have that you think you need that's Bogging you down. If only I could do this. If only I could have this. If only this could be. Then it could be that your focus is on worldly stuff. This is why Jesus instructed the rich young ruler who said, I want to follow you. What does it take to follow you to be saved? He says, go get rid of all your stuff. And he went away sad. So we're going to pray about this, that God would reveal Are we addicted or focused on our stuff more than we are him? Before we do that, remember, God owns all your stuff. He owns it all. Secondly, we we don't own it. He owns it. Secondly, God gives the stuff. And no one can outgive God. So if you're worried about losing stuff, when you go to talk to God about taking your stuff, Know that he's going to give you everything you need. You can't outgive God. He gives stuff for when you need it. Thirdly, God knows what you need and what you don't need. 
You may not like his timing. God, I wish this would sell. I wish this would go. I wish I'd get this. I wish. God knows. He knows. Lastly, could be a word of stewardship, but it, but it could be that God might just be giving you stuff so that you can give stuff to someone who needs stuff. You ever thought about that? Or are you so focused on your stuff, you're not focused on what Jesus wants you to do with the stuff that he's given you the stuff to have? There's people that need, and he wants to use you, give it to you so that you can give it to them. So thinking about all that, let's go to the Lord. Let's just ask him, God, is there too much of a focus of stuff in my life? Lord, please reveal to us if we are addicted and bowing down to material possessions. Do we think more about what we need to get or what we don't have than what you have already declared and won for us that is ours in Jesus? Oh God, give us eyes to behold and think about the kingdom of God more than we think about stuff here. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name. What are you focused on? Where is your focus? Which leads to the last question to help us understand if we're fit for kingdom work of God. The question is, who are you following? Where's my focus? Who am I following? Let's look at what focus on Jesus looks like. It leads, it looks like following Jesus. And let's look and be reminded in Luke chapter 9, which to me is the core text in, in the gospel of Luke. I mean, this is for people who want to know what it means to follow Jesus. It's this passage, Luke 9, verse 23 through 27, and then we'll wrap it up. Verse 22, he just told him, the Son of Man is going to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer many things, be rejected. This is what it means when I say I'm, my eyes, my face is set toward Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed there. And I'm going to be raised on the third day. And then verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. You want to follow me? You want to be fit for the kingdom of God? Then all the things that you tend to focus on, leave them at the door. Repent, turn from those. Let them go. Keep a loose grip on those things and grab hold of my vision of moving forward in the kingdom of God. Take up your cross daily. We looked at that several weeks ago. It meant for the Jewish people that time that be willing to endure everything that the worst of anyone can throw at you on a daily basis. Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We don't need to over-explain this. Verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What a promise. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits his self? Again, very clear teaching here. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him, 
Will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels? Where's your focus? Who, who are you following? Are you fit for the kingdom work of God? Some today, you might be here thinking, man, that's heavy. I got a lot of response. I know you do. So did these people. The question that you just simply need to ask is, Lord, am I willing, are you calling me to let go of everything? And go, if you need help knowing what that looks like, come talk to somebody. We are here to help you. We want to help, want to get in the community group and discuss it. And as you say, wow, Jason's extreme, just remember, I'm just quoting and giving you what Jesus is saying that helps you know you're fit for the work of the kingdom of God. Plow ahead, don't look back. Let's pray. Oh God, may we, like Paul, have great joy by saying, whatever was to my profit, I consider loss. May we have great joy in saying for to me to die is gain. Oh Jesus, come into such focus in our lives that we we we, we wouldn't even want to live life without you at the hub of all the cares in our life. We wouldn't want to live life without you being at the very center of ourself. We wouldn't want to live life if we thought of stuff here more than what you've promised for us in eternity. Oh, Christ, may your words be the loudest in our life this week. As we say to you on a daily basis, here we are. Use us as we want to follow you all of our days. In Jesus' name.